Hello, welcome everybody to episode 120 of the No Normal Show for Thursday, September 9th, 2021, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive into how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the no normal. I'm Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined as always by Chase Kleckner, Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Good to see you as always. Yeah, and we're also excited to be joined by Carolyn Thompson, who is a physician first and foremost, I think is important. Most recently, Chief Medical Officer of a healthcare technology company, uh, board certified OBGYN, and you have nearly 30 years of clinical experience, as well as over 20 years of experience in practice management. Your time in practice has also facilitated your work as a medical litigation consultant, providing expert OBGYN case review for medical malpractice cases, and your experience provides valuable insight into critical aspects of healthcare technology operations and implementation. Hi, Carolyn. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chase. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We've got a really cool show lined up. I'm just going to come right in and say that we're recording the show. Uh, so normally we do this live, but we're recording it. That will have no impact on the content that's coming, other than we will not be fielding questions. So I'm just going to put that right out there because there's no one, unless Chase, you have questions for Carolyn and I as we go forward. You never know. We'll have to see. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Mike sparks, uh, sparks some, uh, some interest there. Yes, you could do that, Chase. You, you think of something as we go. We've got a great uh, topic to get into, but before we get there, just some housekeeping notes. If you're new to the show, this is where we share industry trends, research stories from folks who are both within healthcare, like Carolyn, or from outside of it. Anything we think would be helpful to help you health system marketers and communicators navigate that no normal successfully. If you want to understand what we mean by no normal, uh, check out the blog post, which will be provided a link in the show notes uh, when you find this recording. And remember that if you're not accessing this via iTunes or Spotify, you most certainly can do that. Uh, this is a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you may be watching this recording on our website, which will be at thinkrevivehealth.com slash no-normal for all things related to the podcast, including all prior 119 episodes. All right. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about a really cool, interesting, uh, sometimes choppy topic, which is technology innovation, which we all love. Uh, but in terms of tech technology innovation and how it meets the reality of folks like Carolyn and others uh, who are actually in the care setting uh, in a hospital or health system and how these two things need to come together. So do you want to kind of set this up a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit, even from, you know, from your days back as a medical student? Carolyn? Oh, yeah. I mean, back in the day, you know, we're everyone's told um, almost from the first day of orientation in medical school that patients will tell you what's wrong with them if you just listen to what they say. Um, and as as medicine has changed from the the late 80s when I started medical school, um, wow, um, <laughs> to the, the early 2020s, um, the volume of medical knowledge has increased exponentially. 
And so what we are so pressed for is time. Time is critical because we have to be able to listen to the patient. And to listen effectively, you have to have adequate time. Um, and, and just trying to keep the, the doors of a medical practice open, you have to see so many patients a day just to, to meet the bottom line. So having time is really difficult. And the, the key connector between technology and, and what reality is, is understanding what the patient needs. And in order to do that, we have to be able to listen to the patient. And I think that was the, the big promise of um, electronic medical records was mm -hmm. that, oh, it's gonna save all this time when really it hasn't sort of panned out to, to do that. Yeah, it, it's super interesting that you, you bring up when you started medicine back in the, the, the 80s, because that's also the, the origin of anything related to what we would call healthcare marketing or branding uh, in the hospital health system space. It really didn't exist before the 80s. And even in the 80s, it was few and far between. I mean, before that, really, it was almost um, unethical to consider promoting yourself as a hospital, as a physician, as a, as a health system. Really, we started first seeing the idea of a healthcare marketer in the 80s. Obviously, it's progressed. We are huge fans at Revive and in this podcast about talking about how to transform healthcare marketing. And as part of that, the consumer experience. So really trying to make the consumer experience far more compelling than it has been historically. Uh, and so that's where I think this all comes together. Uh, someone with your experience, both from a technology standpoint and a provider standpoint, you know, we have to bring all of these things together uh, if we're going to improve the consumer experience. We can't just come at it from one side or the other, which is why I think this is such a fascinating topic. So let's start with some, let's start with some fun things. Let's, well, we call it tales from the dark side. Do you have some examples of where um, technology has, technology innovation has met reality in a non too effective way? Oh, but of course, <laughs> so, and, and this is not to, you know, hate on technology because, um, I mean, obviously that's, that's part of this field that I really enjoy and the whole innovative aspect of it. Um, but it, it needs to be built so that it serves the interests of physicians and patients. And when I first began to do um, e-prescribing of, of medications, even before I had EMR in the office, I would go in to write the prescription for the patient, which of course for a bazillion years has been done on a prescription pad. So, and it would take 30 seconds. So I go in to write a prescription for the patient in order to complete the, the prescription, I had to indicate what her allergies were and she had a latex allergy. So I put that into the, the allergy field and I got a drop down of hundreds of things, latex gloves, small, latex gloves, medium, latex gloves, large. As if there was a difference, <laughs> as if you could be allergic to one size and not the other. And, you know, now that I've been on the technological side of this 
and, and have worked with developers, I know exactly what they were doing. They were saying, we'll just give them everything and let them sort through it, um, which is great, except when you're in the middle of your day and trying to write a prescription that, as I said, should normally take 30 seconds. And now it's taking me 10 minutes to try to sort through all of these details in order to just get the prescription to go through. Now we're in a significant time crunch. And when that happens over and over and over again, you've got these tiny distractions that now all of a sudden it's adding up to you know a really big problem that ultimately made me want to change the course of my career. So, you know, Charles yeah. Dickens said, trifles make the sum of a life. He said that? He said that. I like that. That's really cool. I'm an English the, major too, so. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's such a good example. It, it's such a good example. Um, I have one from my past in working with the hospital. And again, it, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how to how to think about this better. But the, the example I have was working, you know, we work with marketing departments usually, and the marketing director shared that they were, you know, go, they're implementing a new EMR, which a lot of hospitals and health systems have gone through over the past decade. And they had, somebody had brought in marketing, of course, way late in the game to help communicate, um, you know, oh, what was it called? What was it? What was the thing coming out of the ACA that you had to have meaningful use? Yeah. Meaningful and so you use. had to, you had to promote your, your EMR to get enough people to use it. So you qualify for meaningful use, which really actually turned out to be nothing if I recall right. But anyway, the point of the story was she discovered upon being brought in way late in the implementation game that they had decided that there were different kind of um, parts of the system, the health system. There was the hospital, there was the primary care clinics, there was the urgent care, and that each of those would have different sign-ons for the portal. So if you were a patient you would have a different EMR sign-on for your urgent care versus the hospital versus the, the clinics, which undoubtedly made some kind of sense somewhere to somebody, but brought all the way through to the actual use of that. Um, so similar to your situation where somebody didn't think all the way through what's it like for a physician to have to sort through a hundred choices for latex for a for an allergy, which makes no sense. It makes no sense for a consumer to have to have three different sets of information to access the same system or what in their mind is the same system, even if yeah. there was some division. Um, so this stuff happens all the time, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's, you know, I, I think it's like when you go to, um, you know, you go to the, you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you start looking at paint chips and, it just becomes overwhelming. So, you know, choice is good, but but too much choice can sometimes make, make things worse. Yeah, 100%. We were spending a lot more time actually on that. We could, we could have a whole podcast on behavioral design and um, choice. And uh, actually been talking to a lot of people about choices in healthcare and how patients actually don't necessarily want choice the way we think they want choice they prefer to just know what they're getting as opposed to having multiple choices um, for all kinds of reasons. So that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother topic we get into, but how about, that's um, do you have any other stories or do you want to talk about some stories that went, that, that demonstrate how this can work the right way? I mean, I think 
really the 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 main point of the dark side is just when there are too many options, it becomes paralyzing. So it's yes. it's better to to have things pared down. And you know, I think that's where um, someone who can bridge that gap between the the technology developers and the clinical world. And that that really helps to guide the development so that it so that it does serve the people who are actually using it. Um, yeah. But but I've used you know when I when I did come on with the first um, EMR system I used in my office, it actually made things better in terms of patient notification. So back in the day, you know results would come in um, on the fax machine. My front office staff would pull the charts. They'd be on my desk. I'd sign off on them. We'd send the patient a card that said your, um, I mean, OBGYN. So my pat, we'd say your pap test was normal. And we'd staple that closed and put it in the mail and hope she got it. Um, with the first EMR I used in my office, we would get those results, post them. I would sign off on, on them and have the ability to make a notation on the document in the EMR. And then I could post it to the portal and I was notified when she viewed it. So I knew that she had gotten her results. And that was, that's like the holy grail to, to know that the patient, you know, instead of, well, we mailed it to you. Well, I never checked my mail. It's <laughs> like, right. well, then, you know. <laughs> Um, then you you can't know. But when they when you get notification that the patient has received it, um, that's you know that that assures you that that loop has been closed. Um, the the same EMR system also had machine learning built in, so that as I would make diagnoses and tee up prescriptions for treatment then it, it would begin to tee up those treatments whenever that diagnosis was entered. So if I had someone who had a yeast infection, then it would automatically um, pop up with the, the first choice was the thing that I prescribed the most. And then the second choice was kind of the second option and so forth. So um, that was really helpful because then you don't have to go looking for it. It's right there because it knows that's what you choose. Yeah, it, obviously, you know, the EMR overall should be a benefit in, in most ways to our healthcare system, to yes. providers like yourself, to patients. Uh, and it really comes down to just making sure that you're not just focused on the technology, you're focused on the user experience. Um, which can be multiple audiences, right? First and foremost, physicians who have to really leverage this tool, but more and more patients are leveraging this tool appropriately. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And all that comes together, that's, that should save time overall for everybody and improve clinical efficacy and include, you know, improve safety and outcomes and all the other things. Uh, it's just making sure you go to that, you know, final step of, of testing it and thinking through some of the things we talked about before, because the power is obvious. Um, and there's still work to be done, right? There's still, yeah. if we're talking about EMRs, there's the, there's still the challenge of having to enter, um, taking the time to enter, 
Um, and I know that there's technology in place that's still not 100% where it needs to be, but you know, someday soon we'll allow you to just have a conversation with the patient and all of it gets recorded and entered through audio. Yeah. Um, you know, and so yeah, I, I actually have a patient who's also, um, uh, or had a, had a patient when I was in private practice, who is a, is a physician here in Nashville and she is working with, um, her entity, um, to develop that voice recognition. So the other, the other aspect of her, um, career, in addition to medical practice is also IT and voice recognition. And it's, it's really exciting to think that, that and, and just to back up a little bit, actually, um, the literature does show that outcomes are better with electronic medical records. We know that the literature also shows that clinicians are spending more than half their day utilizing the, just, just inputting data. And so that is the, is the hurdle, I think. That's the barrier that needs to drop. And as, as things become more advanced in terms of voice recognition and being able to leverage that into the, the EMR system, I think we'll, we'll approach the, the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about just some of the things that you think are important uh, you know, to, to consider as, and then we're talking about EMRs, but this could really relate to a lot of different things um, in terms of technology and, and innovation, but just what are some of the things that you mo- you think are most important, particularly as we consider this should be easy for you as a provider, but also, you know, this is to help imp- to, to improve the consumer and patient experience. Yeah. And I think you think about, you know, the, um, um, the quadruple aim, you know, for so many years, we talked about the, the triple aim. So you talk about, um, you know, population health, you talk about the patient experience, you talk about, um, you know, being, being good stewards of resources and decreasing costs. And now, you know, I think it's appropriate that, that the, the fourth aspect of that has been added in, which is, um, you know, making sure that the, the clinicians have a good experience because if we, I mean, I, I left clinical practice initially because I burned out and a lot of it had to do with um, spending more time doing data entry than actually taking care of my patients. So I was not doing the thing that I loved and was my passion that I was trained for. So it sort of became my mission to try to fix that. To say, okay, how can I how can I pivot so that I can use this this knowledge and experience, um, but but make a, a concerted effort to try to make this amazing tool work in the way in which it was designed to work. And I think it comes back, you know, just to to having the and I'll use this word, and it shouldn't be this way, the luxury of time to listen to the patient. Um, That should not be a luxury. That should be a a need. It should be a foundational requirement for this. Um, And I think that's what we as clinicians seek. It's certainly what the the patients seek from us. And, And patients feel the difference when you're distracted. And you know, that leads to resentment 
and then they shut down and they're not going to tell you the things they need to tell you so that you can take care of them in the appropriate way. Yeah, as you talk about all this and you talk about the idea of the quadruple aim and the kind of the fourth element of that, it takes me back to last year where we advised a lot of health systems as COVID, you know, took off and they had to shut down services and virtual care became, you know, the only way to connect with folks. And it was incredible to see hospitals and health systems innovate so quickly. Um, and they got help, right? They got help from payers who dropped a lot of reimbursement hurdles. The government, you know, got rid of got rid of a lot of hurdles like you can't have, you can't do virtual care with somebody when they're in their home which still astounds me that that was a rule uh, but as they as things kind of got better in the would you fall, rather than be at starbucks i know it was it's hilarious in retrospect now right but as things like we got through the summer and things were theoretically getting better um you know they opened back up and the virtual care visits which had spiked started coming back down understandably uh, and what we said to folks was, look, you've opened Pandora's box with this with a lot of patients, and they're not going to want to go back. The challenge to doing this is making sure that you hold on to your physicians, because a lot of them didn't want to do this before. They had no choice but to do it now. A lot of them thought, found out like, hey, this isn't bad. In fact, many thought it was a, better in some ways. You see patients in their normal setting, in their home, with their family. Uh, but there are plenty that were still resistant and thought, well, now that people can come back in, we should just not have virtual care anymore or, or de-emphasize it. And we said, if you want to maintain your virtual care offerings at a level patients want them, you've got to make this work for the clinicians. They will be the ones that will make or break where this works for you. Um, so don't forget that. Don't just focus on the patients. Don't just focus on promoting the service. You've got to make sure the clinicians are still in good shape with this. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's, you know, because EMRs initially were built for the people who do the billing and coding. And right. that obviously is critical because if you don't code correctly, you don't bill correctly, you don't get paid, you can't keep the lights on. Um, but it's, you know, I think what, what you mentioned brings up a good point that there's so many times that we say, oh, we can't, we can't, we can't until we have to. And then, oh my gosh, we actually can. So right, it's, right. it's a question, I think, um, that of, of how we can sustain that level of innovation when, you know, some sort of disaster isn't breathing down our backs. Right. And, you know, that's, that's not just a challenge for medicine. That's a challenge for humanity, which is yes. definitely beyond the scope of this discussion. <laughs> well, what do we got like five Unless, more minutes? Yeah, we, you know, we can, okay. We can knock it out. <laughs> we can, we can delve into that. What, what else is important to, to focus on to get this right from your perspective? You know, I think that um, innovators, whether they be, um, in software, whether it's medical device, whether it's, you know, whatever aspect of technology you might be, be talking about, really need to understand workflow and, and user experience. And in order to do that, you have to actually talk to the people who use it. Um, 
it reminds me of, I had, had finished my residency, I had moved to Nashville, and um, in my last year of training, our hospital had begun to, to renovate the labor and delivery space. Um, so I called to talk to a friend of mine who was a year behind me, still in residency. I said, hey, how's labor and delivery going? And um, he said, well, they've got the, um, the triage area all built out and it's gorgeous. I was like, oh, that's great. And he said, yeah, the bays are a foot too short for the beds. Mm. So <laughs> nobody came in and measured. And I think a lot of <laughs> A lot of innovation turns out being that way is you you need to really be closely aligned with the people who are using your product because they will truly understand the the way that it needs to be used. They will think of things that you had never thought of, just like those who are in clinical practice may say, hey, we need this thing that does X, Y, and Z, but you know, you need to talk to a biomedical engineer today. Like I need a retractor that will do this. Um, and I don't quite know how what that looks like. So I may need to talk to a biomedical engineer who can help me figure that out. Um, someone who's developing software for uh, clinicians or who's developing an app for patients needs to talk to those individuals to find out exactly what they're going to need. And, um, you know, bridging that gap, I think is really important because it helps um, everyone be more efficient in what they're doing and they can design to the user. Uh, this just reminds me of one of my favorite stories of all time. It fits so perfectly what you're talking about. This is so long ago, but it, labor and delivery. So you will appreciate this working with a hospital who I will not name uh, to help them develop a labor and delivery, a maternity service line marketing program. So we went in and we, you know, interviewed key leaders of the service line, what makes you different or better. And they had, I don't know if it was called this, but we'll just say it was a family centered philosophy of care. Okay. So in their mind, they, everything was about the preference of the family, which just sounds great. But then, but then after a couple of interviews, we discovered that um, they had they had closed the nursery because their viewpoint was at the, I don't know if this was still if this is still true if it was a trend, but the baby should stay in the room with the mother. It's not good to have the baby in a nursery for the for the forty eight hours or there. That that's the way it should be. And I and what what ended up happening was people people were like no. And so the, the, the hallway would fill with carts of babies because there was no place to put them. And it's like, you can't call yourself family centered. And it's all about the preference of the patient. If at the same time, you have not talked to patients who say, this is the last night of peace I will ever get with the baby in the nursery, because as soon as I take this baby home, it's over. So please take the baby, which not all mothers would say that, but plenty did enough that there was babies in the hall. Yeah. So I, to me, that's just like a, the perfect story that, that captures what you're talking about of you can't assume this stuff. You've got to go out. You've got to talk to the people impacted by it. You've got to test it. You've got to make sure it's really going to work the way you think it's going to work or you can have babies in the hall. Yeah. 
that's my that's my story. <laughs> At least they were in bassinets. <laughs> <They're, not laughs> this is the true. <laughs> they were they were in bassinets. They were not you know they were not just discarded in the loungewear. That's that's true. That's a good point. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us for the show. Yeah, it's been it's been great to be here. I really yes, appreciate it, the opportunity. Yeah. We don't talk enough about this stuff. And I think, um, again, like I said, we're such big advocates for transformation in this space and the consumer experience and all the things that technology can bring. Uh, and I think this is just such an important perspective to have. So really glad you could join us, Carolyn. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I agree. I think it's just, you know, the the possibilities are endless and we just need to you know, kind of, kind of <laughs> put, put some reins on the tiger so that we can guide it in the way it needs to go. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. We, that should be some, some EMR company should have a tiger as their logo. Maybe they do already. Is that Epic's logo? I'm going to uh, say, no. I don't, I think Epic just has so. the big yeah. E. <laughs> it's just the big E. That's all they need. They co-opted the whole letter of the alphabet. This so. is right. This is right. All right. Well, hey, Chase, thank you, sir, as always, for joining us. Of course. Enjoy the conversation. If there's something you would like us to cover on the No Normal Show, shoot us an email at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Always remember to visit thinkrevivehealth.com slash no-normal for a recording of the show, which we always have up the day following the recording. And find us as a podcast wherever you find your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, what have you. And until next week, good luck out there in the no normal. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.